It's Wednesday, April 8th. Welcome to Skim This. We're breaking down the most complex stories of the day and giving you the context on why they matter. The more we learn about the spread of COVID-19 around the U.S., the clearer we can see how this disease is disproportionately affecting Black Americans. We'll explain why that might be. Then, the whole COVID-19 pandemic started in Wuhan, China, and today, the city ended its 76-day lockdown. We'll look at what's next for its residents. And finally, there's another doctor giving us heart palpitations. We're here to make your evening smarter. Let's skim this. Before we get into today's headlines related to the COVID-19 pandemic, we've got a quick 2020 update. Yep, that's still happening. I wish I could give you better news, but I think you know the truth. Around lunchtime, Vermont Senator Bernie Sanders dropped out of the presidential race. I have concluded that this battle for the Democratic nomination will not be successful. And so today, I am announcing the suspension of my campaign. This has been a long time coming. Sanders won strong support in the first few states during the primaries. But at the beginning of March, his lead started falling, and he just couldn't bounce back. That means in a campaign that at its height saw 28 Democrats running for president, former VP Joe Biden is the last one standing. He's now the presumptive Democratic nominee for president, who will face off against President Trump in November. And while Sanders says he's on Team Biden, he's also going to stay on the ballot in upcoming primaries. While Vice President Biden will be the nominee, we must continue working to assemble as many delegates as possible at the Democratic Convention, where we will be able to exert significant influence over the party platform and other functions. Keep in mind, though, that the Democratic Convention was recently moved from July to middle of August because COVID-19. Speaking of, the COVID-19 pandemic is a rapidly changing story with lots of moving parts. And we're going to help you sort out what exactly you need to know. So we're going to go through the three big developments of the day. And the news we're going to start with is happening in the U.S. right now. As this outbreak intensifies across the country, we're seeing clearer and clearer trends that Black Americans may be at a disproportionately higher risk of falling ill and dying from COVID-19. Before we get into why that might be, let's look at the numbers. The Washington Post just published a big report on the COVID-19 outbreak using data from all around the U.S. By comparing COVID-19 data with census data about who lives where, the paper found that the infection rate in majority Black counties was three times higher than in majority white counties. And the rate of COVID-19 deaths was six times higher. Health experts are picking up on the same trend. Where COVID is not equitable may be in the fact that we are all impacted in some capacity. But we are, when this is said and done, we are going to see the COVID completely ravage communities that don't have a lot of resources. That's Vanessa Carey, CEO of Seed Global Health, a medical nonprofit. And shout out, she's also a physician at Mass General Hospital in Boston. Today, she's starting a week-long shift in the ICU treating COVID patients. Already in Louisiana, here in the United States, a state that is one-third African-American by race, we're seeing up to 70% of the COVID deaths to date are in African-Americans. So why is this happening? Louisiana's governor, John Bell Edwards, has one idea. He says his state's African-American population has a higher rate of pre-existing health conditions, 
including things like lung disease and diabetes. People with these kinds of health issues are more likely to develop severe complications from COVID-19. Surgeon General Jerome Adams even pointed this out in a recent interview with Reuters, and he spoke from personal experience. I've shared myself personally that I have high blood pressure, that I have heart disease and spent a week in the ICU due to a heart condition, that I actually have asthma and I'm pre-diabetic. And so I represent that legacy of growing up poor and black in America, and I and many black Americans are at higher risk for COVID. And there's more to this than people having pre-existing health conditions. Carrie and Adams both noted that social distancing is also more difficult in densely populated urban areas. Workers in these communities are also more reliant on public transit, where it's easier to catch an infection. They're also more likely to work in jobs that put them in contact with a lot of other people. And if they do get sick, these groups are disproportionately more likely to lack health insurance. So they might not seek out expensive treatment, they're also less likely to have job benefits like paid leave. So they might go to work sick out of financial necessity and in the process, spread the disease within their community. A lot of the problems we just talked about won't be easy to fix. But in the meantime, cities, states, and even the federal government are under growing pressure to, at the very least, collect and release more data about who's being affected during the COVID-19 outbreak. That way, resources and relief can be steered to the people who need them the most. And when this outbreak is all said and done, nobody can say we should have done more to help. That's the big news in the US today. But our second headline is taking us far away to Wuhan, the Chinese city where this outbreak began. Wuhan has finally ended its lockdown. Late last night, people met up on bridges to watch a light show and celebrate the end of 11 weeks inside. Now, people can leave the city. Remember, during the 76-day lockdown, most people couldn't even leave their houses to buy groceries. The Chinese government enacted some of the strongest containment measures around, like house-to-house -house temperature checks and mass quarantine sites. That's because not too long ago, Wuhan was the epicenter of the COVID-19 outbreak, where most of China's infections and deaths occurred. At its worst, Wuhan was reporting thousands of cases a day, but in recent weeks, the number of new reported cases has been dropping. And today, the government said there were none. There's one caveat, though. If residents want to leave, they have to pull out their smartphones and open an app that shows if they're likely to be infected. The app is government-mandated and uses data tracking to compile a health status. Green means you're good to go. And even once people get to where they're going, they still might be tested or quarantined. So even though life is coming back to the city, it's not in full swing just yet. Schools are still closed, and lots of prevention measures like wearing masks are still in place. There's another part to this, which is whether we should even trust the numbers coming out of China. There's been a lot of discussion recently about whether or not China is under-reporting its cases and deaths, with ministers in the UK government and even President Trump suggesting that China's recent numbers seemed a little too low. But even if the exact numbers in China are being questioned, it's still feeling good enough to let people in Wuhan go back outside. Which brings us to our third big story of the day. Ever have one of those frustratingly long meetings that end with nothing accomplished? That's what's happening in Europe right now, on a massive scale. Yesterday, the top finance officials of 19 major European countries logged onto a video conference 
to figure out how to stave off the financial impact of the coronavirus. After a 16-hour-long marathon meeting that went well past our bedtimes, they still couldn't reach an agreement and called it a night. Welcome to our nightmare. So why does this matter? Well, the 19 finance ministers in the video conference grid represented all the countries that use the euro currency. It's called the Eurozone. And they were reportedly supposed to agree on a list of recommendations for European leaders that could counter the economic effects of COVID-19. You see, the pandemic has already hit the Eurozone pretty hard. And analysts have predicted that a recession could cause the economy to shrink by about 13% this year. For comparison, the Eurozone only shrank by 4.5% during the 2009 financial crisis. So the finance ministers need to come up with a plan. And fast. Two of the big issues holding them back come from Italy and Spain, which have been hit the hardest by COVID-19. They want the Eurozone to share their pandemic-related debt, and they want loans that don't require an overhaul of the economy. So, big asks. They're now scheduled to dial in for another call tomorrow, so hopefully they can get on the same page this time in less than 16 hours. Like we said, there's a lot happening right now. To keep up to date on the latest news about COVID-19, head over to theskim.com slash COVID updates. Okay, we're pressing pause on the latest developing stories to talk about a new healthcare sensation. Meet Dr. Horacio Arruda, aka the Dr. Anthony Fauci of Quebec. He's a very charismatic and relatable senior health official in Quebec, who's become a bit of a local celebrity. His daily briefings breaking down how to deal with COVID-19 have been described as animated and relatable, like in a cool dad kind of way. Just listen to this clip. I wash your hands, wash your hands, and wash your hands. Dr. Aruda has become so popular that, aside from the memes, he now has his own fan-created merch, from t-shirts to mugs to cutting boards and coloring books. People have gotten pretty creative when it comes to paying tribute to the lovable doctor. But what's probably most important is that he's become a source of comfort during truly uncertain times. So if that means he one day gets his own collectible bobblehead a la Dr. Fauci, we certainly wouldn't mind. No matter your situation, sometimes you just need to press pause. And every week we're sending out an email with some of our favorite things to help you take a break. To sign up, head on over to theskim.com slash press pause. Before we go, we want to tell you about a pro tip we picked up from our other podcast, Skimmed from the Couch. Meg Whitman is a longtime tech executive who's now the CEO of the new video platform, Quibi. This week, she sat down with our co-founders and co-CEOs, Carly and Danielle, to talk about what she's learned about leading through times of crisis. Meg reflected on her time as CEO at Hewlett Packard Enterprise and told us what she's learned about managing a team going through a period of change. When you come into a situation like that, your instinct, right, is to find everything that's wrong, point that out and try to fix it. Actually, that instinct is, in my view, wrong. What you need to figure out is what is the company or the organization doing well and how do you get them to do more of it? No one wants to feel criticized. No one wants to you know, have all the different things that, that could be improved pointed out right at the beginning. Because if I'd come in and said, this is wrong and this is wrong, we should have fixed this and why are you doing this and I can't even believe this, you just don't capture the hearts of people. To do more of what's working is a lot easier and a lot faster than to fix the things that are wrong. That episode of Skimmed from the Couch is available now on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. 
And that's all for Skim This. Remember, we want to hear your shout outs. Maybe it's a message for a friend working on the front lines of the COVID-19 pandemic or a loved one who you can't physically meet up with right now. Give us a call at 646-461-6370 and leave us a voicemail. For more updates throughout the day, follow us on Instagram at The Skim. 